Thank you, Mackenzie, for reading scripture for us. I, I love having some of our teens involved in our services in these weeks. Before I pray and move into the message, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about this cultural tension and transition moment that we find ourselves in today. Like you, I have watched the video of George Floyd's very sad and tragic death probably too often. And I've listened and watched too much commentary over the last few days. For the last couple of days, I have reached out to a few of my African-American ministry peers in the city to check on them, to see how they were doing, to ask them how they're really doing, and to renew my personal pledge to work side by side as brothers whenever possible. I was humbled when one of these men wrote back to me and said, thank you, that's what family does. I'm glad he thinks of me that way. Like many of you, I'm trying to make sense of all of this. I'm distressed at searching through my memories and my upbringing. My first encounter with racism came from my own grandfather who was a pastor. He lived in another state so my contact with him was rather limited, but I remember as a young boy hearing my grandfather tell jokes where a person of color was always the butt of the joke and he would use the N-word to get a bigger laugh. My parents didn't do things like that and they didn't condone it either. Yet they taught me through those moments how to bite my tongue and say nothing. And too often, that's what I have done when I have become aware of acts of injustice or when people of color were treated as less than. My background and my upbringing taught me that this was not my fight. Then the Lord opened a door about 15 years ago for me and for North River to partner with Dr. Wesley Roberts and People's Baptist Church in Boston. Dr. Roberts and I developed a personal friendship by working together on some regional and citywide ministry projects. And you, the people of North River, jumped in with me as we developed this urban-suburban black-white partnership. Together, we adopted three Boston public schools over 11 years in a partnership that became the model for engagement across the city. I felt privileged to serve as a junior partner, and I always considered myself the junior partner, willing to learn from and follow Dr. Roberts' lead. Together, we were interviewed several times about this wonderful partnership. On one of those occasions, I was asked, how did you get started working in race relations? Whenever this question came up, my answer was always that I never set out to get involved in race relations. I simply placed a high value on friendship, and my friendship in particular with Dr. Roberts. That was a good answer. It was a true answer. But my answer was always that I never set out to get involved in race relations in part because I was holding back. Because my background and my upbringing taught me that race relations was not my fight. It wasn't the area that I knew a lot about. This was progress from the era of my grandparents' generation. But as, as I think about it today, I realized that was not enough. Some of you listen to Dr. Tony Evans on the radio. A few days ago, Dr. Evans spoke about his heartfelt concerns for our nation. And that went out to a whole lot of people like me who are on his mailing list. He spoke of this time as one dominated by a medical pandemic that has led to a cultural pandemic that reveals a spiritual pandemic. I believe that all three of those descriptions are true. And I believe that we are facing all three of these challenges right now at the same time. Psalm 89 verses 14 and 15 read this way. 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. The psalm writer includes three pairings in these two verses. First, he tells us that righteousness and justice go together. Righteousness has to do with our own moral standards and the way that we govern our lives. Justice is the standard of fairness that we seek for ourselves and for everybody else. The psalm writer points out that these two go hand in hand as the foundation of God's very throne. The God whom we worship and who holds us accountable establishes and loves righteousness and justice. The second pairing is love and faithfulness. True love is accompanied by faithfulness to what we know to be true. Both come from God. Both are attributes when seen in us that reflect our understanding of God. And then we're told that blessings come to those who have learned to acclaim the Lord and to those who walk in the light of his presence. So the third pairing has to do with our praise to God and the way that we walk in this world. Right now, the attention of every eye around the world is focused on this justice moment. Dr. Evans is right. This is more than a medical pandemic and more than just a cultural pandemic. We are also in the midst of a spiritual pandemic that has been causing a spiritual sickness across our land. And it's been there for a long time. Long overdue change is coming. The senseless death of George Lloyd was the last straw for far too many people who have been taught to say, this is not my fight. Perhaps someone may find fault with my words today saying that I'm bringing a political clash into the pulpit. But there's something else at work here. We are witnessing the exposure of this spiritual pandemic that has been there all along. And until we root it out, our lives, our families, our churches, and our nation will continue to pretend that we're all okay while we're silently letting a fever run unchecked and unmedicated that is making us sicker than we realize. As I was listening to Tony Evans, he pointed out that there are four levels of change that need to happen before anything really affects the society as a whole. The first level is with the individual. You and I have a responsibility to reach out, to befriend, to learn from, and even to stand up for those who look different or who encounter injustice. The second level has to do with the family, and we need to pass on this commitment within the generations of our families. The third has to do with the church. There is more that we can do. Part of the gospel involves ensuring justice for all. The reason we should never consider anyone from a different race as less than is because racial identity is something that is given by God and therefore sacred to God. It is unchangeable and his gift. And when we work at those three levels of the individual, the family, and the church, eventually change comes to the culture at large. There is a time for Christians to push and to advocate for change. The culture will change as these first three levels change. Now I'm talking about advocacy here, not rioting and violence. That only makes things worse and it's inexcusable and I'll never defend that. Anyone who confuses advocacy and violence and who endorses violence embraces evil, not good. Christians retain and reclaim our role as the soul of the nation 
when we expect and hold our leaders and our politicians and our judges and our law enforcement teams to do what is right. And in almost every sector of our society, people today are beginning to focus on what needs to change and how to do this right. So let's not make the mistake that some of us have made in the past any longer in thinking that this is not our concern. The writer of Psalm 89 tells us that God made it our concern a long, long time ago. Please join me in a prayer. Father God, thank you for this moment that we're in. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and tact like you did for Daniel when he went before the king. So that when we talk to anybody about the concerns of our hearts and the concerns of our nation these days, we will do so not with a hot-headedness, not with an unbridled anger, not with poorly chosen words, but with well-chosen words. And with a spirit that can heal. I pray that you would give us understanding as we continue to think our way through and pray our way through this period of COVID exile. Make us wiser, make us stronger, make us gentler and bolder all at the same time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you happen to see that video of Andreas Bocelli singing Amazing Grace in front of that cathedral in Milan a few weeks ago? I think that it happened back in April. That special was called Music for Hope. And it ended with Bocelli walking outside to the front set steps of the cathedral and singing to a worldwide audience. Today, Amazing Grace is one of the best love songs on the planet by nearly every group, people group. It is no longer considered simply a Protestant hymn, and we often find it requested at Catholic funerals or even on the steps of this cathedral in Milan. One of the verses I love best about this wonderful old song written in 1772 by John Newton comes in the third verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I wonder how many American soldiers hummed those lines as they climbed into their Higgins boats in order to rush onto Normandy shores on, as D-Day unfolded 76 years ago this very weekend. And I think of those words whenever I contemplate the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, and God's grace led him through it all. Well, welcome back to North River Church. We've been working our way through a series of messages called Living in Exile. Each week, we've been mining out nuggets of wisdom from examples of people in biblical times who thrived in periods of exile. And our hope is that these lessons can also help us to thrive in this period of COVID exile here in the United States. Today, we're going to look at a snapshot from the life of a young man with great dreams who seemed forgotten by just about everyone in his life as he went through a great season of personal exile as well. Here's the key idea for today. When your dreams collapse, the way out of your prison is to realize that God still wants to use you and your experiences to bless others. When dreams collapse, that's our theme this morning. The first 
observation is that when dreams collapse, sometimes the way forward is to serve others. In the opening verses of Genesis chapter 40, we read these thoughts beginning in verse 2. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. Joseph was a young man who grew up in a culture that placed great value on dreams. And Joseph had vivid dreams of greatness. He was the 11th of 12 brothers, all the sons of Jacob, later to be known as Israel, which literally means he struggles with God or God's struggler. Joseph's first dream was of 12 stacks of grain and the 11 other stacks bowed at one point toward his stack of grain. And then he had a second dream that followed. It was a dream of the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. And the sun and the moon and 11 of those stars bowed down to his star. Joseph, of course, being rather naive, told these dreams to his older brothers. And Joseph ended up being sold as a slave by these jealous older brothers who wanted nothing more to do with him. And his life's trajectory began to follow a progressively downward trajectory. He serves his master faithfully and then is accused by his master's wife. So the master throws him in prison and Joseph's dreams of greatness are forgotten. But Joseph serves the warden of the prison with distinction and is rewarded with greater and greater degrees of trust. So much so that Joseph ends up administrating many aspects of that prison. It literally says in the text that he put everything under Joseph's care. Then at one point as we open chapter 40 here, two royal officials from the Egyptian government end up in the same prison and they are put in Joseph's care. Notice what Joseph does not do. He does not compare. He doesn't say, you think you've got it bad, look at me. And he doesn't power up on them and use his authority and trust against them. As Joseph focused on the needs of others, God gave him success in whatever he did. There's a huge lesson that Joseph brings to us with the way that he serves other people in the midst of his own struggles. From time to time, I have counseled people who seem to be stuck in personal loss and misery or even were depressed, and I've counseled them to find a way to serve other people. There is something about helping at the food pantry or volunteering with a community organization that helps us realize that there is always someone worse off than you are. And when you're able to help somebody else, it lifts your spirits. Serving others releases us from relentlessly focusing on our own misery. And it helps us realize that God still has a purpose for each and every one of us. The second observation is that when dreams collapse, sometimes we need to stop comparing. Jump ahead to verse 16 and 17 here of Genesis 40. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. What had preceded this was the cupbearer's dream and Joseph's interpretation of that. He saw three clusters of grapes and he squeezed them into a cup and gave the cup to the king. Joseph told him that the Lord was revealing what was about to happen 
and the three clusters of grapes referred to three days. In three days, he would be returned to his position as cupbearer for the king. When he saw that Joseph's interpretations was favorable, the baker assumed that his interpretation would be just as favorable. He got a case of me too. So he told Joseph his dream, which was a bit more troubling. He said, I saw three baskets of bread on my head, and then the birds came, and the birds began to eat the bread out of these baskets while it was resting on my head. Joseph told him the interpretation that three days later the king would order the removal of the baker's head. And sure enough, three days later, both of these dreams came true. The baker must have been thinking, what happened, Joseph? Why not me? Why don't I have such a favorable outcome? Alistair Begg says, this is how we often think. We expect that if something good happens to our neighbor, it will necessarily happen to us too. If they prosper, we should prosper. If they were blessed, we should be blessed. We are so intent on comparing ourselves to others and expecting life to be fair. When we think like this, we don't handle it well when that's not how God works. Sometimes our dreams are crushed by the weight of expectation that we place upon God. In all this time, while he was interpreting the dreams of these other two men, Joseph remained silent about his own unrealized dreams. Sometimes your dream's time has just not yet come. Verse 23 tells us that the cupbearer, after he had returned to the service of the king, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. What I find amazing in the Genesis story of Joseph is that we are given this bird's eye view that allows us to see Joseph never giving up and yet he has this sense that others have forgotten him. But God never gives up on him and God never forgets Joseph. Potiphar, the person whom Joseph first worked for, gave up on Joseph. The prison warden gives Joseph more and more responsibility, yet takes Joseph's abilities for granted to such a degree that he paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. The cupbearer, after having his dream interpreted by Joseph and after being restored to his position before the king, completely forgets Joseph and two more years pass by before he remembers anything. None of this took away from the validity of Joseph's dreams. Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery and faked his death to their dad. But he was 30 when the king finally had a troubling dream and the cupbearer remembered Joseph's amazing ability to interpret dreams. 13 years of confusing, menial labor, feeling like he was forgotten. John Boykema, who's a pastor in Pennsylvania, says there are a number of things that Joseph could have done during this time. He could have plotted revenge, taking his frustration out on others. He could have become angry, bitter, or disillusioned. He could have wallowed in self-pity. Or he could have checked out and gone into isolation mode. I don't know about you, but I've seen a number of people do just that. Life deals them a fast, hardball inside, and they get hurt, offended, experience rejection or loss, and they check out. They avoid church. They avoid friends. They withdraw from ministry. They withdraw from service to others. And they just isolate. Boykema adds, this is the opposite of what we must do when feeling forgotten. Staying focused on you keeps you imprisoned. 
when you feel forgotten, the way out is to do more than just hold on. Remember our big idea for this morning. When your dreams collapse, the way out of your prison is to realize that God wants to use you and your experiences to bless others. And that leads us to the fourth observation. When dreams collapse, sometimes God is stretching you as you hold on. We jump ahead to a few verses from the next chapter, chapter 41. There it says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. That comes from verse 1, 9, and 14 of Genesis chapter 41. Lee Eckloff, who's the pastor of Village Church in Lake Forest, Illinois, tells the story of a man named Ted who is from his church. Ted was at O'Hare Airport in Chicago on his way back from a business trip, and he went to get his luggage from the baggage claim area. It was late at night, and almost everybody else had claimed theirs. And Finally, Ted spotted his bags heading towards those canvas flaps at the very end of the conveyor, about to go back into that dark tunnel. And so he rushed and he decided that he could grab them just before the conveyor belt would pull them through and they disappeared into that black room. But Ted had a health condition that made him a little bit shaky on his feet. So just when he reached for his bag, he tripped. He lost balance and fell onto the stainless steel conveyor. And there he was, flat on his back, hanging tightly to the handle of his suitcase above his head, riding through the flaps and into the darkness beyond. Several thoughts were going through his mind. One was, I've been waiting to do this for years. Another was, I could get arrested. The third was, now is probably not the best time to get off. And so he rode, tightly gripping the handle of his suitcase until he and his bag passed all the way through the flaps and came out on the other side into the light of the baggage claim area again. And when he got there, he found a rather official-looking woman who said to him, you're not supposed to do that. To which Ted replied, have you ever tried this? She bellowed, no, and he said, well, don't. And then he swung his legs off the conveyor and onto the floor, tightened his grip on the suitcase handle, stood up and just walked away. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? You fall into a situation you don't want to be in and you just can't get off. It would be one thing to say, just hold on, but there's a better conclusion don't let go of the God who refuses to let you go. Even when he was forgotten by others, Joseph had not been abandoned. He had not been forgotten by God. And his best days were still ahead. Todd's going to talk to you about some of those best days next week. Remember what we learned last week about how God works when we pray. God heard, God remembered, God looked very closely, and God was concerned. And he's concerned about what you're going through too. When your dreams collapse, the way out of your prison is to realize that God still wants to use you and your experiences to bless others. Perhaps you are feeling stuck and forgotten today in a spiritual way. And so I want to tell you that it's time to renew your faith in Jesus. You can start that with just a very simple prayer, either now or in the quiet moments after this service is over as you're reflecting on what you've heard. But pray a prayer something like this. Lord, here I come, tired and feeling forgotten. I am renewing my trust in you. 
Forgive all my shortcomings. Renew my soul and my spirit today. And the Lord will begin to work in your life and make you new on the inside. Perhaps you are feeling forgotten in other ways. You are, for, you are feeling forgotten and one out of your marriage. The relationship has grown tense and living so closely together and confined from leading a normal life has exposed that and made it even worse. You feel little affection. You feel neglected and forgotten and taken for granted. And all of that is leading you to say that your love is no longer there, so it's time to check out. Diane Salee, who's the founder of Smart Marriages, says, quote, to get divorced because love has died is like selling your car because it has run out of gas. Friend, it's time to refill the tank, to get some help, to confront what's wrong, to rebuild what has been temporarily lost. And God will help you as you serve your spouse in his strength and you dare God to fill your heart with love again. Perhaps you are feeling forgotten in grief. I've handled two grade side funerals during this COVID shutdown and I agonize with the families that were not allowed the tools that often help us begin to grieve. Don't give up. You are not forgotten. Hold on. Call me and I will put you in touch with someone from our grief share team and you'll find that there is help on the way. Or perhaps you are feeling forgotten in the midst of this COVID shutdown and it's just worn you down. You're tired of making this work. You're snapping at other people at home or where you work. Don't give up. You are not forgotten. God is not through with you yet. With God, there are always better days ahead. And the life of Jesus teaches that. And the cross teaches that. With God, there are always better days ahead. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your children, all at different levels in this spiritual journey with you. Some who are beginners and some who are just coming back and uh, wanting to become reacquainted with you. Some who are in the middle of the road and some who are well far down the road in terms of our understanding and our knowledge and our love for you. But give us the grace to walk humbly, to serve you well, to serve others wisely and with great care, with great concern. We pray for our nation that you will pour out mercy in more ways that we can possibly deserve, not just, for, not just in regard to the coronavirus, but in regard to all the things that are, we are dealing with, with our medical pandemic, our cultural pandemic, and this great spiritual pandemic. Lord, bring change. Lord, bring justice. Lord, help us to act wisely and to revere all of your children with love and respect. In Jesus' name, amen.